All right, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 8 and 9. Well, it's been three weeks uh, since our last time in this chapter. And so let me back up a little bit just to uh, set the tone for our text this morning. Beginning in chapter 4, the final chapter, by the way, uh, the the final chapter of this short book, uh, Paul got to dealing with a couple of women in the church, if you remember, this is in verses 2 and 3, who had enough of a disagreement with one another that Paul openly mentions their names in a letter written to the entire church, okay? In other words, this has gotten serious enough to where he feels that uh, this could begin to affect others in the church. Now, as you'll notice, Paul does not discuss uh, what that actual issue was. We don't know what was causing the division. Uh, he doesn't take sides, okay? Therefore, we, we know that it probably is not an issue of sin, Generally speaking, Paul would address that if that was the case. So he simply just compels them, as as the New American Standard phrases it, to live in harmony with one another. Okay. Now that doesn't mean that uh, everyone in the church uh, has to think the same way. It simply means to work it out. It means to, as we would say today, it means to agree to disagree. Start acting, and these are my words, start acting like mature Christians instead of 12-year-olds, okay? Yes, we all have differences in the church, but generally speaking, those differences are not a right and a wrong. We're different people with different personalities and different thoughts, and there doesn't need to be division in the church because of that. And therefore, when issues arise, as Paul is talking about, don't let it divide you with a brother or sister in Christ, and definitely do not bring it into the church and cause a problem there as well. Well, at that point, Paul went into verses 4 through 7, where I believe he now begins to deal with the effect, okay? He's dealing with the effect of what has just taken place in verses 2 and 3. In other words, just because things might not look good between these two women, or maybe you feel like the church is being negatively affected by this, it doesn't mean your entire outlook has to change. Notice what Paul says in verse 4. He goes, rejoice in the Lord always. Matter of fact, he says, I'll say it again, rejoice. Yes, folks, there are many times, okay, where we are, if you will, deflated because of trials or maybe difficulties like we saw there in verses 2 and 3, some struggle, some relationship issues, okay? Uh, Maybe there's some persecution going on. Uh, Maybe there is a death of a loved one. Life throws a lot of things at us every day, but remember that God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, and God's justice, and we can keep going, but all of those things towards us has not been diminished, right? We can always rejoice because our standing with the Lord is immovable. 
Okay? Our standing with God is not affected by things that take place like what we read earlier in verses 2 and 3. All the issues and the trials that go on in our lives. So that's why Paul can look at them and certainly say, look it, you can rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Despite what's happening, despite what's taking place, despite what life throws at you. Now certainly life at one time or another has, if you will, kicked us all in the teeth, right? Your best friend has maybe broken their promise to you, but God won't. Your relationships aren't what they used to be. It's almost like nobody cares anymore. God still cares. Maybe you feel like uh, your church has let you down. You don't feel the love anymore from people there. God's love for you has not changed. God's love for you has not stopped. And this is why Paul says whatever we're going through, whatever struggle it might be, we can always rejoice. Remember, joy is something that should be continuous. T uh, happiness is temporary right? Happiness is based on circumstances. But we can rejoice always in the Lord. Our standing with him doesn't change no matter the circumstances. Now moving forward into verse 5 in this just little review here, we're still feeding off of what took place in verses 2 and 3. And so Paul says in verse 5, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Greek word there translated gentleness here in verse 4 can be confusing because there are numerous English words that are used to translate it. Matter of fact, out of the six main line, if you will, translations, there are five different words that are used to translate that. Using one word generally does not give this word justice. You know, if I ask everybody in here, how would you define gentle? I may get 15 different answers, okay? But the true definition of this word, it speaks of an attitude where one is willing to yield their rights and to show consideration to others. That's that gentle spirit, maybe is a good way of saying that, okay? You're willing to yield your rights and show consideration to others. You can also say that it is the patience to endure mistreatment without retaliation. That's the hard part, isn't it, right there? Without retaliation. So it's like these, these two women here in verses 2 and 3. This revolves around our relationship with one another. It revolves around how we deal with one another. How many people here have been into kind of a eh, situation at a prior church anywhere? Anybody? Eh, one, two, yeah. I mean, it happens. A few heads going on. It's really sad and it's unfortunate. It, it, it is. You hate to see that. But how we deal with that is very, very important. And you will always see the mature one uh, handle it with a non-retaliatory spirit. To humble himself, not to raise their voice, not to say point fingers or what about you. You just deal with the issue to the best that you can and show God's grace uh, in this situation. Lastly, before we enter into verse 8, uh, Paul says here in verses 6 and 7, a verse we know very well, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So once again, with verses 2 and 3 being really the foundation of this context, um, whether there is tension that might be affecting people in the church or maybe even affecting literally your worship service, Paul tells the church, and by the way, that's you and me, okay? Paul tells the church that we should be prayerful instead of anxious. Be prayerful instead of anxious. And sometimes... (laughs) Start praying when you are struggling with anxiety, right? Now, part of our problem, uh, which causes anxiety, is I believe we focus too much on the circumstances than on the Lord. And I myself have been guilty of that in my own life. We focus too much on what's going on instead of putting our focus on the Lord, okay? Okay. Secondly, anxiety might also be an issue. We don't want to hear this. But anxiety also might be an issue of simply not trusting God. Okay? We tell ourselves in our minds, we believe God is sovereign. We believe that God is in control of things. We know that. We hold to that doctrine. And I will raise my hand to see if, do I believe that? Yes. But we have a hard time translating that into our everyday thinking. Because when we do a lot of these things, we're literally just not trusting God. And I, and I hate when I catch myself doing that. It's like, huh, you got you to begin to think. Because we don't want to think that. We don't want to think, do you trust God? Of course I trust God. Oh, really? You know, because we tend to fail at that. And thirdly, I don't think the church has a correct view, or should I say an exalted view of God. Too many times today, God is our friend. God is, uh, which I hate this, God is my homeboy. That kind of garbage. You ever said Jesus is my homeboy? Folks, we have to understand that Jesus isn't your homeboy. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the creator of the universe. He is the Lord of glory. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And we can go on and on and on. We don't seem to have that exalted view of God. We keep him here like he's even with us instead of here where we wouldn't have any anxiety if we kept him there, right? I believe the more that we learn of God's character, the more we learn of his nature, his power, the fact that he is omnipotent, omniscient. I always like to say God's omni-everything. I believe the more we learn about that, I believe our view will change when God should be on the pedestal, right? That's where he should be. But until that time, he says here that we must take advantage of our access to the Lord of the universe. We must spend time, Paul says, with God in what I call a sincere prayer. Sincere prayer. Not just throwing something up because I want something. He says we must thank him. We must praise him. We must bring our needs before him, knowing that whether God says yes or no. Remember, God always answers our prayers. Always. It's either yes, no, or not right now. But whatever God's answer is, we should seek whatever his will is in that. I know I really want this job or my best friend works there. This would be great for me. I could save money on gas. (laughs) But maybe God says, I got something else planned. And so we have to trust the Lord in that. 
But do we do that when we pray? Do we come before him in prayer? The more we spend time with God in his word and God in prayer, which you know that's what builds our relationship, right? God speaks to us through his word. We speak to him through prayer. That's our relationship. Try having a relationship and only one person's talking. It doesn't work very well. So we need to spend time with God in his word and in prayer. And the everyday worries that we deal with will seem to get smaller and smaller. But unfortunately, sometimes we, we just go to God when we do have those anxious times. And that's it. And that's part of our problem. Well, at this point, we're going to finish up this section and therefore this subject matter, okay? And we're going to do that by looking at verses 8 and 9. Uh, we know we're finishing up, by the way, because all you've got to do is read a couple verses ahead. But we can also just simply read the very first word of verse 8, and that is the word, finally. Paul says, finally. In other words, Paul is going to close out this topic on what you might call how to be spiritually anchored. Call it whatever you'd like, but you see what took place in verses 2 and 3, and you've seen the guidance that Paul has given the church after that. How am I to be spiritually anchored, spiritually stable? How am I to deal with these issues? What should I be doing? How should I be thinking? How should I be acting? Okay? So with that being said, let's look at these final two verses, verses 8 and 9. I'm sure you know these verses well. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whether you have learned or received or heard in me or even seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. There are four key words here that Paul uses, and they're actually at the end of verse 8, and they are this, think on these things. And he could have put that at the beginning of the verse, it really wouldn't have mattered. But he says, think on these things. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with the word think, okay? But I believe a better word, uh, which some of you might have, is the word dwell, dwelling on it, okay? Dwelling has that, that connotation. It has that hint of, of focusing, okay? It literally means to consider, or better yet, it means to put together in your mind is what that means. When you're dwelling on something, you're putting it together, you're fitting it together in your own mind. And as we prepare to move through verse 8, it's vital that we don't forget why he is telling these things to the church, okay? Paul doesn't say, hey, hear these words in a sermon. Make sure you, you think about this when Darren gives the sermon. Think about these words when the pastor brings them up. No, of course not. He says, dwell on these things. And of course, we haven't gotten to those things just yet, but dwell on them, okay? And I'm telling you this first before we start the verse, because I want you to deliberately ponder this as we go through it. Okay, I don't want to finish it all instead. Think about it. I want you to ponder these things as we go through it, because that word dwell, logizomai, is about 90% of the sermon, because we've got to spend a lot of time going through these words, what he's talking about in verse 8. 
So about 90% of these things he's saying dwell on, think about, focus on, consider them. Okay? And also, and you've heard me say this many times, as you know, this is a verb, right? What is a verb? Describes what? Action, right? Got a few English scholars in the room today. This is also what's called a present imperative. Okay, you've heard me use those words before. An imperative is a command. Okay, so we're commanded. It's not a suggestion that he's saying. He's saying, it's not saying, hey, you know, if you get a chance, it'd be really, this is a really good way to start your day. No, he's actually saying, do this. Christians, he says, I want you to do this. Okay, a matter of fact, it's also in the present tense. In the present tense, just like we have tenses in our English, the present tense means we are to do it habitually. We are to do it always. It's continual. Okay? It's not just Sunday morning. It's not just right now or if you're reading or you're taking notes. It's, it's not just when you're studying this verse. He's saying we should grind ourselves in this so that it, it becomes a part of this. Dwell on this. Right? Dwell on whatever's true, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. Dwell on those. Okay? So here is how we are to feed our minds, he says. Verse 8, we are to dwell. Number one, let's begin. We are to dwell on, he says, whatever is true. Whatever's true. Now, some of you, especially in our world today, some of you may have heard some goofball. I say that lightly. Well, that's your truth, and I have mine. Right? Anybody ever hear that kind of stuff? Yeah. <laughs> I know what you do for a living. Yes. You guys do the same thing. Yeah, I hear that. Well, that's your truth, but this is my truth. Really? Now, as you guys know here at Discover Church, we do have a theological word for that, right? What is what? Baloney. That's correct. <laughs> that is correct. That is the theological word for that baloney. You can't have a fusing, opposing viewpoints and both be true. It doesn't work that way. That is baloney. Okay? Now, when Paul says here to dwell on whatever is true, understand that this is not a far reaching statement. Okay? And what I mean by that is there are a lot of things that are true. Right? I mean, there are millions, literally millions of things that are true. Gravity is true. Throw a rock in the air, I will guarantee you it's going to come back down. Okay? Certain people in this world should not wear skinny jeans. That is a fact. That is truth. As some of you shake your heads at that. And there are lots and lots of other things we can talk about that are true. But those don't help the church with their spiritual stability. And that, as you know, is what Paul is getting into. You see, he's getting into our walk with Christ. What we can do, how can we react to situations? How do we deal with life as a Christian? Our spiritual stability. That's what he's talking about. So don't take the word true like many other words and just run the gamut with it. Okay? Therefore, I believe the word true keeping with this, is talking about God and his word. And you can do a whole sermon on this, okay? And we won't. But as you know, God himself can be defined as truth. He is the God of truth. We know scripture says that God not just doesn't lie, God cannot lie. God cannot lie. Titus 1, 2, Hebrews 6, 18. 
And therefore, what he says is truth. There's no way around that. And anything that opposes him is false. Okay? Those are things that we must keep in our minds. Okay? John chapter 17, verse 17. He says, your word, this is Jesus praying to the Father, what we know is a high priestly prayer. Jesus prays, he says, your word is truth. Okay? What is spoken, what is right here in front of us is truth. Psalm 119, verse 51, O Lord, all of your commands are true. All of them. Dr. D. James Kennedy, you ever heard of Dr. D. James Kennedy, a couple people? Before he passed away, he had a Bible radio program, and it was called Truths That Transform. Okay? Truths That Transform. Of course, the focus of that was the teaching of God's Word. It was the teaching of Scripture. Okay? I believe he had it right when he simply named that program. God wants us to dwell on the truths that will transform us, right? Lots of truths, but he wants us to dwell on the truths that transform us, and there's only one truth that will do that, and that's what you got in front of you right now. God's word, that truth will transform your life, and many of you know that because it's transformed yours, see? That's the truth that we're talking about. Next thing Paul brings up here, as you know, there's a list of things here in verse 8. Next thing Paul brings up, the Christian, he says, should dwell on this. He says, whatever is noble. Dwell on whatever is noble. Now, we don't hear that word noble uh, too often today. Uh, Generally, that's translated as honorable. Does anybody have that translated as honorable? Yeah, a few of you do. Okay. Okay. You can also say revered. You can also say dignified. Okay? Same word actually is used in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, as worthy of respect. Okay? Now, that being said, remember what I just said a little bit ago. Paul's intent for the church, because this is who we're talking to, right? Paul's intent for the church is not, hey, think happy thoughts. It's not, hey, focus on puppies and unicorns, okay? No, it's to bring spiritual stability, growth, maturity to each and every one of us, okay? That which builds us up in Christ. That's important. Every word, folks, that we look at in this verse has that as its goal, Okay, therefore we don't want to think, listen, don't think secularly when you read these verses. Almost every one of these verses you can just, we can all have different answers for. What's true? What's noble or honorable? Right? What's admirable? And you can just run the gamut. Well, Paul's not just saying whatever the world thinks, right? God's not concerned with what the world thinks uh, is worthy of respect or what the world thinks is honorable, God's not concerned with that. So be careful that we don't think secularly as you go through these verses, okay? For example, judges. Judges are considered worthy of respect. Matter of fact, we're supposed to call them what? Your honor, honor, right? They are considered honorable. But let's be honest, how many of them are evil? 
You don't have to name any, but how many of those are evil? The President of the United States is considered to be worthy of respect, yet how many of them have and are destroying this country, expanding the evil that goes on behind closed doors? But yet, they're supposed to be worthy of respect. Therefore, whatever is noble, whatever is honorable, is going to align itself with a biblical principle. Okay? Listen, many things in our society are called moral. Right? Many things in our society are called honorable. And the reason they are, even though the world will not admit this, society won't obviously admit this, is because their origin is in Scripture. If I say I ran into somebody and this is an outstanding human being, this man never, he won't lie no matter what the situation is. He's, he's extremely honorable, and if he says it, you can believe it. He, he will not lie to you. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear people like that. But, you know, it's funny because the lie is from where? The don't lie is from Scripture. Actually, it's from one of the Ten Commandments for that matter, right? Don't lie, don't bear false witness. That's a biblical issue, they won't necessarily say it is, but it is. There are atheists out there who believe that committing adultery is wrong. They're atheists, but they believe it's wrong. But they won't defend that by using the Bible, obviously. Many people believe in the principles of the Ten Commandments, right? They may have something on their office wall. Uh, the way to start your day, 10 good principles for living. Don't steal from people. Be honest with them. Honor your parents. You know, and, all the, and somebody might say, oh, that's, that's, I like that. That's a good way to run your life. But they're not going to put the 10 commandments. Oh, no, can't do that. Because that comes from Scripture. But we see all those moral, honorable things, they're based on Scripture. That should be our focus, when God's word comes into play, that which is noble, honorable, moral, focus on those that come directly from the word of God because that is what we're talking about, okay? It's always going to be rooted in biblical principles, okay? Once again, God is not concerned with what the world thinks is noble. Nobody cares. I don't. I hope you don't either. Thirdly, Paul says, I would like for you to dwell on whatever is right. Whatever is right. I think if the ESV says whatever is just. Now, when you look at that word right, <laughs> I mean, that's a suggestive term. Uh, you can just, you can think of all kinds of whatever is right, right? It's, 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 all kinds of things might come to your mind. But in a broad sense, He's saying what is upright, focus, dwell on what is upright, what is righteous, what is virtuous. This is what the word means, okay? So simply put, this is somebody or an individual or standards that keep the commands of God. It is a, a, a life, if you will, that is worthy of God's approval. It's righteous. It is virtuous. I think of, when I was going through this, I thought of actually 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where Paul tells the church, follow my example 
as I follow the example of Christ. That, of course, would be doing what is right. See? And that's important, to do what is right. Once again, what does God say right is? That's what matters. When you see someone whose daily desire is to conform to the principles that God has laid out in his word, and maybe you know people like that, maybe that's you, I hope it is. Maybe it's your parents. But when you see someone who lives their lives to honor God and to conform themselves to his word, picture that in your mind. What does it look like in your mind? Dwell on that, if you will, is what he's saying. That which is right, get it in your head. I can picture somebody in my mind right now from 30 years ago of what he would do, how he would treat a certain person, how he would respond to negativity. I can just picture that in my mind. I can dwell on that. See? So understand what is right in the eyes of God. All right, so whatever is right, he says, whatever is true, I'm sorry, whatever is noble, whatever is right, and now he says, whatever is pure, whatever is pure. That's the Greek word hagnos, hagnos, okay? This comes from the word hagios, and many of us know that word, it means holy, okay? Hagnos, Hagias means, it means holy, it means sanctified, it means morally blameless. Now, the word pure, or hagnos, it has the idea of innocence. It has the idea of chaste, or wholesome, morally clean. Okay? It seems to focus on uh, the acts of the body, what we do. But of course, it also pertains to, as you know, what we see, how we think, right? Even Jesus said it's not just the act of committing adultery, but you've lusted after a woman in your heart. It's also what we see, it's also what we think. And those two kind of go hand in hand. Folks, living in this world today, you almost want to define it as whatever is not coming out of Hollywood. That, of course, is not a good definition. But you almost want to think that way because it's such garbage that comes out today. When you watch what people do, whether it's a movie, whether it's a television show that you like, a documentary, whatever it is, when you watch what people do, what you're being fed, when you see the constant lies, when you see the adultery, the sexual connotations, heterosexual or homosexual, doesn't matter, when you see the lack of clothing on so many women in these shows, even on TV. This is what happens when God's standards have gone by the wayside. This is what happens when the word pure or purity is simply just erased from our society. Look, I, I wasn't brought up the way I am today. I watched a lot of stuff. Seen a lot of stuff, read a lot of stuff, did a lot of stuff. You guys know that already. And, and I'm looking at the stuff going, wow, it's hard to believe that stuff is now the norm and it's on TV. There's no purity going on there, is there? And sadly, when I think back of some of the women, even those out there who, uh, actresses who say, proclaim uh, to be Christians, 
they tend to keep following the trends of how much skin can I show? I don't quite get that. I'm a believer. I focus on Christ. I give glory to God. Then why is your dress down past your belly button? I just find that a little weird, you know? How many times of what you see these women wear on TV shows, or a lack of purity, what you see them wear on TV shows, or what you see them wear in the movies, or maybe what they don't wear, is they, they, it's like they have a goal. How much skin can I possibly show? It leaves nothing to the imagination whatsoever. But that's what our society tells us every single day. Be thankful you don't live where I used to live in California because it's on billboards. You cover your kid's eyes as you're driving by down the street. I think what people don't see today or maybe what they fail to understand is that when you look back on things, when you think of purity or a lack of purity, go back 60 years and watch the movies. Maybe you've seen a lot of them growing up. Watch the women in those movies. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful. And they're covered from head to toe. I'm not a prude. I'm not saying you have to dress like an Amish. But let's be realistic. When you, but when you watch those movies, you're going, wow, those women are absolutely gorgeous. And yet they're covered from head to toe. You don't have to do all that to look good to look pretty, to want somebody to think I am hot or I'm sexy or whatever it is. Today, I believe, is much more difficult to dwell on that which is pure because of the times that we live in, because of the internet, because of billboards, books, just your average television show at night, the movies you see coming on. You want to see this movie because of whatever. It's a boxing movie or it's a race car movie or whatever the movie is. But somehow there has to be scenes in there. They just feel you have to throw them in there. And you're like, really? Really? It's hard today, I think, to focus on that which is pure. But because of that reason alone, we must. As difficult as it might be, God has called us to separate ourselves. God has called us to separate our actions, what we watch, what we wear, okay, from the standards of the world. We have to separate ourselves from that kind of stuff. Just because it's popular, why God's green earth would Christians need to jump on it? We Christians, for some reason, like to take what is popular, what is secular, and Christianize it somehow. They think, oh, I'm okay now. But they're just simply following everything the world does, which is impure in every way, but I want to Christianize it, so it's okay now. You've heard me say this before. It's been a while, but I remember I used this as an illustration a while back on some sermon. Go home and watch your favorite movies. Go home and watch your favorite television shows. Okay? And then ask yourself, was there anything wrong with that? You're obviously thinking with a Christian worldview. Ask yourself, was there anything wrong with what I just watched? And, and probably the answer will be no. And that's because you have accepted what society has pushed on you. It's the norm every day. You see it all the time. No, I didn't see anything wrong with that. Now take that just as an illustration. 
go back years ago to some of the things that maybe I grew up watching or some of these really old people like Victor what came, came over watching. Think of Hogan's Heroes. Think of Little House on the Prairie. Think of I Love Lucy. Think of all those shows you go, oh yeah, they're on Nickelodeon or they're on whatever. You know, think of those kind of shows, whatever you grew up on. There's many, many shows. Compare those shows. Now go back and watch the shows you watched earlier. Now tell me, is there anything wrong with those shows? Because there's a big difference. Go back and watch those shows that were just clean, humorous, comedy, whatever. And then watch your shows today. Because then you're going to go, oh man, yeah, there's lots of problems with that. But we've allowed ourselves to get drawn into that, that which is impure, which is that which is worldly, and so forth. If we do not fill our minds with that which is pure, as you know, the world will fill it for us with every kind of impurity if we allow it. And sadly, in my mind, the church continues to allow it. Nobody here in this room is perfect, myself included. But most of these kinds of things, when you think of purity, wholesome, you know, how you define that, chaste and so forth, is just not a part of our world anymore because we just hopped on the bandwagon. We do everything that they do, but we go to church on a Sunday morning. It's not a very good testimony, I believe. Well, continuing with Paul's emphasis of dwell on these things, he now, his next word is that whatever is lovely. This is another one of those words you've got to think about. Don't secularize it, because I can ask everybody here. When you think, you know, focus on, dwell on whatever is lovely. Well, <laughs> you can get lots of thoughts on that, right? Well, this is the only place that we actually find this in the New Testament, so it actually makes it a little bit harder. This word isn't used anywhere else but right here. But most scholars seem to go toward the attractiveness to a disposition or a temperament. You still have the word attractive in there, like when you think of lovely. But you might think of the word agreeable or pleasing, acceptable, amicable, okay? That being said, folks, once again, our mind is not to be dwelling on that which is generic, but it's what God thinks is agreeable, what God thinks is pleasing, what God thinks is acceptable and amicable. Remember, folks, what Paul is telling us here is this. This is for our edification. This is for the church, you and me. This is for our edification, our spiritual growth, our spiritual stability. And therefore, it always goes back to the standards of Almighty God. Always. As Peter talked about, everything for life and godliness is found right here. It's all right here. I don't need anything else. Everything. See, it's there. And when it comes to the believer's spiritual maturity, what God desires you and me to become, the attention is never on the world, but always on God. Always. Okay? God doesn't use the world as an example in any way unless it's a negative. Unless he says, don't do this, but do this. Right? Moving forward, no, Paul's not done just yet. 
He now says our minds are to concentrate on whatever is admirable. Whatever is admirable. You might have the word good repute or, or, or maybe commendable. Okay? Once again, this is another one of those words where it's used nowhere else in Scripture except right here. And the emphasis is on uh, that which is well spoken of, um, that which is worthy of praise. You can say that which is the highest standard. Okay? The highest standard. What is that old statement? What is the enemy of great? Mediocre? Good. The enemy of great is good. But we like the word good. You did a good job. You could have done a great job. See? So we, we, we settle on certain things. But he's telling us here that which is admirable, admirable is of the highest standards. One commentator says, the believer's thoughts are to be elevated by Scripture to fix on the loftiest themes. The loftiest themes. Our minds, he says, should be drawn to the highest standards, the greatest virtues. Actions, folks, that even a non-believer would have a hard time opposing. That's how high they are. These biblical virtues are what we should try to fill ourselves with. How we think, what we dwell on, has a direct effect, folks. Listen, what we think, how we dwell on, has a direct effect to what comes out of us. Would you agree? Go like this. Yes, I do. What we see, what we think, what we're dwelling on has an absolute effect on what comes out of us. And as you know, this is what God desires of us, right? Not just to think biblically, to think that which is true, right, pure, noble, admirable, but to act that way. That's his goal. His goal isn't just to say, hey, think this way, but it's to feed into how we act. And that's why he finishes this verse by saying, if there is anything, meaning I've given you this list, right? True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy. He says, if there is anything, even more than I've written, that is excellent or praiseworthy, whatever it is, then think on these things. In other words, this isn't an exhaustive list, but if there is anything out there that I forgot that is praiseworthy, put that in there too. And once again, how we think correlates to how we live. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because it's the wellspring of life. Life! That's a pretty broad term. Similar to Mark chapter 7 and verses 20 through 23. You might remember this. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. They don't quite understand the concept of what unclean is. And Jesus says, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. From within, out of men's hearts, here it comes. What comes out of us, people? It says evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. And I'm sure that's not exhaustive. He says all these evils come from inside of a man 
and make him unclean. Folks, he's saying those things are coming out of people. And you know why? You know why? Because that's what was poured into those people. What comes out of us is what's in us, he said. So what are we pouring into us? What are we pouring into ourselves? Right? If we think, if we dwell on what Paul has mentioned in verse, in verse 8, it's bound to show its way in how we live. It doesn't have a choice. When you just sit here and go, whatever is true, whatever in God's eyes is right, whatever in God's eyes is honorable, you see, you keep going. If you dwell on those, think on those things, it, it, that's bound to change who you are. And that's how Paul finishes this section. It's not just thinking. It's knowing that the thinking, knowing the focusing will have an impact on your life. We're we're way over, so I'll just say this real quick. Verse 9, he says, Whatever you have learned, or let me read it this way, Whatever you have learned from me, whatever you have received from me, what you have heard from me, or even what you've seen in me, anything that I have given to you, what does he say? Put it in into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He says, know this, listen to this, dwell on this, focus on this. And all these things you've heard me say, all these things you see from my life, whatever it is, he says, put it into practice. Folks, you and I know that learning of God's word is a valuable asset because that is what we do here every week In church, Sunday school, Bible studies, is we teach, we go through the Word of God. There's nothing more powerful, nothing more transforming than the Word of God, okay? But God is not pleased if if that information just simply fills our brain cells and just lays there. I know the answer to the Jeopardy Bible questions. All right, it's cool to answer those questions. We all know that. Yeah, that's kind of cool. But it doesn't matter if it doesn't transform us, and that's what he's, he's looking for. Listen, folks, godly thinking cannot be divorced from a godly character or maybe godly behavior. It cannot be divorced from that. And therefore, we need to think with a purpose. Think with a purpose. What dwells in our minds, what we see with our eyes, we do that with a purpose, Many, I'll close with this. You know, you've heard me say this before, I'm sure, over the years. Ken sometimes repeats it now, but it's true. People ask me sometimes, why don't you watch this? It's garbage. Well, Darren, what, you don't watch R-rated movies? Nope. I probably very seldom ever watch a PG-13 movie. Really? Why? That's an awesome movie, dude. It, I said, look, let me tell you something. I said, I have so much in my mind from before I came to Christ I could just fill this room. I've got garbage. I've got pornography. I've got just, I mean, everything I've ever done, the filth, the garbage, it's all in my mind. I can't get rid of it. I can't just go like this and empty it out. It's not much in there anyway. But I, I can't do that. Why do I want to add to it? Why do I want to add to that? I can't get rid of the junk in my head now. From 30 years ago, it's still there. And sometimes they'll just pop up and you're not like, what in the world? 
So why do I want to add to that even more as a believer in Christ? So I, challenges us, I challenge you today as we, as we look at these things to dwell on. There's so many things there. And think of you and your life where you're at, maybe what you watch, maybe what you listen to, maybe what you hang out with, whatever. And think of how that can apply. And then he simply says, put it into practice. So when you think on whatever is true, what is true? We talked about it. What is noble? And just always remember, it's never what the world says. Don't care what the world says. We only care what God says. Because he is true, and therefore, that which opposes him is false. Let's pray. Father, thanks, Lord, that we can go through this um, just the ending of this section with these two verses. Um, there's a lot going on here because of the list that has been given. And Lord, I know for every one of us here today, there's something that we can grab from it. There's something we can hold on to, even if it's the word focus or dwell. Or, or maybe it's just one of those words, that which is admirable or honorable. But Lord, help us to have this thought. Every one of us are tempted every day with our favorite magazine. I mean, it, you, you can't even sometimes go to your favorite clean website with the advertising not being filthy. And so we think of whatever is pure. Lord, it's difficult in this world, but Lord, we all know that by the power of your Holy Spirit and our heart's desire for you that we can overcome the world. So Lord, guide us through our days for every one of us here. Help us, Lord, to make the changes, Lord, that we would focus on these things. Think on these things, and as your word says, to put it into practice. I think, Lord, we live in a world today where Christianity is so dumbed down. It's so not biblical. Pastors are so much not teaching the scriptures. And therefore, the people that attend are just cruising along in their Christian life, and they're about an inch deep. Lord, as believers, we don't want to be that way. We want to be faithful to you and who we are and how we live. So guide us, use this text in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.